the good shepherd. It's one of the most beautiful and enduring images in all of Christianity. Throughout every generation, every era of the faith, in every culture that Christianity has landed in, we have loved this image. We love to imagine ourselves as that little sheep being scooped up in the arms of our shepherd, the rest of the flock representing our brothers and sisters in the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, all in the tender care of our good shepherd. It brings us so much comfort to think of Jesus in this way. But wait a minute. That's not the whole picture. That's not the whole story. In John chapter 10, when Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd and us as his sheep, he mentions at least three other characters, three other figures in the story. They rarely make Christian artwork depictions, but they're there. We should learn about them. We should find out who they are. That's what we're going to do in today's scripture learning. We're going to learn who these other figures are, who these other characters are, what they can teach us about what it means to have Jesus as our good shepherd and what it means to belong to his flock. Well, first I have to set the scene a little bit. In the original context, when Jesus told this story, his audience, his hearers would have pictured something in their mind's eye. They would have pictured a sheep pen. I have an image of it here for you on your screen. You see, the sheep would be led into this sheep pen every night so they could sleep. And there was this doorway in which the shepherd would lie. He or she would lead the sheep inside the pen for safekeeping. And then the shepherd would lie down in that doorway, putting his or her body between the flock and any threat that might come while they sleep. So this is what people would have pictured in their mind's eye. But as I've just mentioned, there's more characters in the story than simply the shepherd and the sheep. No, Jesus mentions three other ones. Who are they? Well, there's a thief. There's a wolf. And there's a hired hand. A thief, a wolf, and a hired hand. Jesus calls all three of these figures strangers to the flock. So let's learn about them. Let's learn more about our faith, our role, our membership in the church, in the flock of Christ, by learning about these other figures as well, ultimately fixing our eyes on the good shepherd himself. Let's first look at the thief and what he's up to. We see him first in in verse 1. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Can you picture it now that you see that sheep pen? The shepherd goes in and out that doorway, but Jesus says a thief comes in another way. Can you picture a thief leaning over that stone wall, reaching in to steal one or more of the sheep, to haul them off, to sell them at some market so that they can make a profit? Jesus is saying that there are thieves out there. There are people who would steal and peel away people from the flock. Who might this be? Well, I would suggest that it's anybody who would come into the church, anybody who would come and whisper in the ears of the Christians in our world, and they would say things like, do you really believe all that? Don't you think the church is a waste of your time? And some people are persuaded by what the thief is saying. 
and they begin to leave the flock. We learn more about the thief in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. See, that thief is is stealing away, and in so doing, he is separating the flock out. The flock becomes divided between people who remain in it and people who have followed the thief. It can happen in subtle ways. It can happen in dramatic ways. We were talking to Pastor Richard recently, and he was talking about this thing that happens sometimes at Pivot Ministries. Pivot Ministries is a men's recovery program. They have a residential home in Bridgeport where men who are suffering from addiction and, and basically um, desperate lives, they come in and they, they get healing and they get community and they get faith, and then they are sent out back to their families and communities usefully whole. Pastor Richard was saying that sometimes the men in the program will be tempted to leave early before that whole maturation and healing process is complete. And he said, oftentimes, when one person leaves early, he'll bring two or three or even five other students with him. See, that's what the thief does, is he says, I'm leaving this place. I'm leaving this church. I'm leaving this flock. And he persuades people to come with him. And suddenly the flock is divided. It's separated because of that thievery from the robber. The shepherd, on the other hand, offers something completely different. Listen to what the shepherd does in verse 2. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. See, what happens here is the shepherd unites with his voice. The shepherd calls out the names of the flock and they all hear his voice. And in one united way, they follow him out, out of the pen into the pastures that he has for them. The thief comes and steals and separates, he divides, but the shepherd unites with his voice. That's when you know the, a certain church or Christian community is really following the voice of the shepherd as if they have unity, which we enjoy here at Stanwich Church. We listen to the voice of the good shepherd. There's another character in the story, and it's the wolf, the wolf. Let's find out what the wolf is up to in verse 12. He who is a hired hand, we're going to hear about the hired hand in just a moment. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. This wolf that Jesus is describing, who might this be? It's the devil. The devil is the wolf. The wolf really wants just one thing. The wolf wants to come in and kill. The devil wants to kill. And it's interesting the way Jesus describes it here. The the wolf comes in and snatches, kills, and then scatters the rest. See, oftentimes the devil operates in fear. All we need to see is the devil attack one of us, and the rest of us are scattered in fear. Now, in next Sunday's sermon, we're going to hear a lot more about fear and how fear can really grip the church. So stay tuned to that. Stay tuned for that for next Sunday. But for this Sunday, just know that, that there is this character, there's this figure who, 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 um, who, who, who surrounds the church, comes in and, and, and kills, and then scatters the rest in fear. The shepherd, on the other hand, offers the exact opposite. Verse 10, once again, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I, the good shepherd, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
See, this is what our good shepherd Jesus is offering us, life. In contrast to the wolf, in contrast to the devil who wants to kill, Jesus wants us to have life and life abundant. What is the abundant life that Jesus is offering us? Well, it's what we saw in last Sunday's sermon, being rich toward God. The abundant life is enjoying the spiritual and material provision of our good shepherd. The shepherd brings us out into the pastures where he knows it is the supply of exactly what we need. Sometimes it's not what we want, but it's what we need because he's our good shepherd. And he gives us the abundant life, the spiritual and material provision that we need. We know we're living in the abundant life when we feel that wonderful sense of shalom. Not just peace, the absence of conflict, but shalom, the the full, harmonious, unified sense that we feel. Sometimes when we're in a household full of love or a relationship where we're unified and content in one another's care or even in our own soul in the care of God, we can feel that shalom, that full sense of peace in the presence of God. That's the abundant life that Jesus, our good shepherd, offers us. In contrast to the wolf, who wants to kill and scatter through fear. The third figure in the story is the hired hand. The hired hand. Who's this hired hand? And what's he up to? Let's read about it in verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. We have to understand that basically in Jesus' time, there were two types of shepherds. There were the shepherds who owned their own sheep. It was their own investment. It was their own property. So they would care especially for it, knowing their own interest was in mind. So they would have their best interest, the sheep's best interest in mind. And then there were some other sheep who were simply hired out by the actual owners of the sheep. These hired hands were simply in it for the job or for the paycheck, so to speak. They were in it for their own selfish reasons. They wouldn't care as well for the sheep because if the sheep were really under threat, who cares? It's not their sheep. But the shepherds who own their sheep would make even better care of their flock. This is our relationship with our good shepherd. He owns us. We are his possession. So he loves us in that way. I love what it says in Psalm 100 verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. See, this is what our good shepherd offers us, is that kind of relationship where we belong to him, where scripture tells us our good shepherd paid the price to ransom us, to get us back so that we could belong to him once again. We are his And he cares for us in that way. The hired hand would never offer that kind of care. Who are these hired hands in the church today or in culture today? These people who might have the appearance of shepherds, but really don't have our best interest in mind. I can think of a few examples. Self-serving politicians who want to cater to the Christian vote But really, they're just trying to get our vote so that they can have more power. Once they have our vote, they don't necessarily keep our best interests in mind. 
Another type of hired hand in our time nowadays might be marketers, people who want to increase their their audience by getting the Christian viewers. And sometimes I see this, we get excited about a certain program that's going to be coming on, and we think it's going to be a Christian show. And we get excited about it, we tell our friends, and then we watch it, and we realize it's not very biblical at all. In these scheming marketers, it worked. They got our advertising revenue, but they weren't really interested in our spiritual well-being. A third type of hired hand I can see in our culture today is, is actually some self-serving pastors. And this is the most insidious kind, the type of hired hand, the type of pastor who has all the appearance of a shepherd, someone who really has the appearance of caring for their flock, but really they're just trying to grow their church in order to grow their book sales or their podcast audience. They don't have the best interest of their flock in mind. These hired hands exist out there, politicians, marketers, self-serving pastors. But Jesus, on the other hand, he's the type of shepherd who owns his flock, who possesses his flock as his own. And look what that kind of shepherd will do in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, this stands in direct contrast to what a hired hand would do. The hired hand is in it for his own gain, but the good shepherd would lay down his life for the gain of the flock. And this is what Jesus has done for us. He lays down his life. He puts his body between the threat and the flock, and he saves us in that way. So these are the three other characters, the three other figures that we don't normally see depicted in Christian artwork. There's the thief who wants to come in and steal believers away from the flock and divide us. There's the wolf who wants to kill and scatter through fear. And there's the hired hand, the people who have the appearance of caring for us, but really just want their own gain. But Jesus, as our good shepherd, is the only one who would truly care for us, the only one who could truly offer us abundant life. So how might we learn to follow him more? How might we learn to recognize the voices of these other figures just well enough to know that we shouldn't be listening to them, but we should be listening to his voice? Well, Jesus says something three times in this brief passage. Whenever anything is repeated three times in Scripture, we should really pay attention. Three times Jesus says that the sheep will know their shepherd's voice. My sheep will know my voice. Jesus is instructing us here, church, in how to make sure we know what kind of shepherd, what kind of personality we are following. My sheep know my voice. Church, we need to train our ears to know and to follow the voice of our good shepherd, the voice of Jesus. How do we do that? It's very simple. We hear his voice in this book, in his word. We read this book. We go to our Bible studies faithfully. We digest it. We bring it into our being. We talk about it with the other members of the Bible study, with the members of our household. We, we learn his voice, especially by studying the Gospels. We learn what Jesus would do, what Jesus would say. It becomes part of our thought world. We learn his voice. You know, some people 
actually hear the voice of God through the Holy Spirit. This is very rare, but some Christians actually hear it. I've actually begun hearing God's voice a little bit more over the last five months since the pandemic hit. But I'm 41 years old, and I never really heard anything like that until recently. I spent 40 years hearing Jesus' voice in this book. And now, by his grace, he's been speaking to me in in an almost audible way where I hear his voice. I usually test it with the elders or the other pastors to make sure I'm hearing the voice of Jesus. But I also test it against what I know Jesus to be saying in this word. So we must hear our shepherd's voice. We must learn it so that when he calls us in a united way, we follow him and we gain his, his abundant life, the green pastures he leads us to. Another thing I, I want us to do as a church is not just learn and know and follow the voice of Jesus, but occasionally I want us to think about what some of those other voices might be saying. The thief, the wolf, the hired hand. What might the plans and schemes of the enemy, the devil, what might they be saying and doing in our world, in our flock? We should learn about them to some degree, not to fixate our attention on them, but to learn to recognize sometimes when a voice comes into our minds, maybe that wasn't the voice of my shepherd. The best recommendation I have to learn those voices is through this little but powerful book. It's called The Screwtape Letters. It's written by C.S. Lewis. Many of you watching this already know about this book. You know what it is. But for those of you who don't, let me describe it briefly. It's a fictional series of letters between one demon and a younger demon, Uncle Screwtape and his nephew Wormwood. It's fascinating. It's kind of fun uh, setting. But they have a young man who lives on earth in mind as, as the one that they're trying to lure away from the faith. This young man is a human being, and he gives his life to Christ, and he becomes part of the flock. And these two demons are are planning and scheming of how to lure him away. The older demon is training the younger one. But they become more and more frustrating, frustrated as the letters go on because the young man is becoming more and more identified with Christ, his good shepherd, and the flock that he belongs to. I love reading this book. I read it about once every three years or so just to remind myself of some of the subtle ways that the devil might be speaking to me to distract me or to pull me away from the faith as well. There's interesting schemes that the demons think about in the book, like they try to get the young man into sexual temptation. There's another chapter where they try to get the young man fixated on politics. The setting of the book is during World War II. The demons don't care which side he chooses, as long as he picks one political side and then becomes totally absorbed into it, distributing pamphlets and becoming fervent about the cause and developing all of this energy towards it so that he doesn't have time to develop his faith. There's one chapter in there that particularly resonates with me where the demons are are trying to, to figure out how to, how to turn a good situation into one that is to their advantage. The young man falls in love with a Christian girl and he begins hanging out in her household. It's a beautiful thing from the Christian perspective, but it frustrates the demons. And so what do they do about it? Well, they try to introduce pride into his heart. He 
You see, he's hanging around in this Christian household, which is very good for him. it's, It's making him more in love with Christ. But the demons say, ah, once he's in that home, once he's in that house, get him to look out the windows at all those sinners out there who are unlike the Christians inside the house. And pretty soon the demons have introduced pride into his heart. It's fascinating. I I do recommend reading this about once every three years. So hear me now, church. Read this book every day. Read this book once every three years to remind you that there is a thief, there is a wolf, there is a hired hand out there trying to lure you away. But mostly get to know the voice of the good shepherd so that we can follow him, be united by him, and be led into green pastures. It's possible you're hearing all of this and, and you don't know how to differentiate between all the voices that you're hearing in culture, all the voices you're hearing in your own mind. And maybe you're wondering, how do I know that the voice of Jesus, the voice that's being presented in this sermon, the voice that's presented in the Bible, how do I know that that voice really is good? Maybe you have fallen into the influence of hired hands or bad shepherds or thieves or even the wolf. How can we know that Jesus is actually good? Well, the good news is that Jesus was true to his word. When he said he's the good shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep, he wasn't just talking about the fact that he would be like a shepherd and and protecting against a wolf who would come to the flock. No, the whole thing was a metaphor for what he would do for us on the cross. Just a couple of years after he told this story in John chapter 10, he would become that good shepherd ultimately who would lay down his life when he saw the greatest threat ever coming against the church, the threat of the plans and schemes of the enemy of the church and the consequences of all of our sin, when he saw all of that coming against the flock, coming against the church, coming against you and me, he placed his own body between that threat and us. And he died in our place on the cross so that we could have life abundant and eternal. This is what he's done for us. It's documented in scripture. And if he went to that length to protect us and to care for us, he is trustworthy. He is good. He is the good shepherd. So come on, flock. Let's be aware of the other figures in the story, but let's fix our eyes and open our ears to hear the voice of our good shepherd who cares for us, who laid down his life for us, and who leads us into life abundant. Amen.